Welcome to All Saints Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit allsaintsokc.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ASCCOKC. Uh, I'm Claire Westbrook, and if you're new, I am one of, my husband and I, we both co-pastor uh, worship, and so it's, it's different to be in this space, but I'm really looking forward to it, so thankful that Brock asked me. Um, first, I'm going to start off by saying the last time that I preached in February, the day before, my dad had gone into the hospital for a massive heart attack. Um, and so by the time I was showing up on Sunday, it, we didn't really know how that was going to pan out. Um, and so my dad's here today. He wasn't here last time, but he's here. And so I just, I wanted to say that, not to do anything that is celebrating him, although I love him and I celebrate him, but I celebrate an actual literal miracle that we saw in my family in February. So in Psalms it says, tell of his marvelous work. So I just in public wanted to say thank you to the Lord in front of all of you. So I'm thankful that my dad is here. Yeah. Um. This morning we're going to talk about remembering God and knowing yourself, being true to yourself, you do you. All of these are kind of high values in our culture. And as people of God, people who are citizens of a heavenly kingdom, we know that in order to know who we are, we have to know who God is. Our true full identity is found in him. Many of you have seen The Lion King, and I want you to think about the scene where Simba is with Rafiki, and it's after he's run away from his home, and he's peering into the pond water, and Mufasa, Simba's father, says, Simba, you have forgotten me. And Simba replies, no, how could I? And Mufasa says, you have forgotten who you are, and so forgotten me. If we forget God, we forget who we are. And I believe it's crucial for us to have rhythms and practices in our lives that cause us to remember God, to remember the story of God. And the reason these practices matter is because without them, not only do we not know God, but we, we do not know ourselves. So without God as our lens and our compass, we lose ourselves and we'll look elsewhere for our identity. So all other things flow from us knowing our identity is found in God. The way that we see the world, the way that we see other people, the way that we see ourselves, all of that is a reflection of what we believe to be true about God. Uh, Years ago, I felt God starting to highlight this idea of remembering, and you see it all through the Old Testament. Remember the Lord your God. Do not forget the Lord. And so that's kind of what we're talking about this morning, the practice of remembering God. What did it look like in Scripture, and what can it look like for us now? 
And I want you to walk away with practices and tools and things that you can add into your life rhythm. We remember things that are important to us. If we want to remember something, we rehearse it. If we want to remember something for a test, we write it down, we read it over and over again, we ask our friends and our parents to quiz us to see if we can remember it. So we remember what we rehearse. And if we want to be a people who remember God, there are some spiritual practices and disciplines that we can implement as a way of rehearsing God and who he is. So I want you to consider this morning, what do you rehearse? What do you rehearse in your mind, in your heart, and as you move through your week? These practices that we talk about today are not obligations. They are invitations. God's voice sounds like invitation. The enemy's voice is accusing. John, uh, Jesus says in John 10.10, 10, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give life in all its fullness. So I believe these practices can be invitations into experiencing this life. The practices themselves are not life and do not give life, but because of who Jesus is and what he has done, life is available. So I'm just going to share some things that I have found helpful in my life to remember God. And they're going to be things that you're familiar with, um, and maybe for many of you, things that you already practice, but my hope is that you will sense the Holy Spirit highlighting one and inviting you into something new. Uh, We're going to mainly focus in Exodus this morning, so we're going to look at the story of the Israelites. So you can go ahead and open up to Exodus 12. Um, Some backstory, Moses was chosen by God to lead his people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So that's where we are in the story. This is Exodus 12, after the 10 plagues, um, and Pharaoh had finally agreed to let the Israelites go after 430 years of slavery. So we're going to start in Exodus 12, verse 37, and then we're going to jump forward a little bit. The Israelites journeyed from Ramses to Sukkot. There were about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children, Many other people went up with them, and also large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. With the dough the Israelites had brought from Egypt, they baked loaves of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. Now the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years, to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt. Because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt. On this night, all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for the generations to come. And then jump to chapter 13, verse 3. Then Moses said to the people, commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. Eat nothing containing yeast. Today in the month of Aviv, you are leaving. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Hivites, and Jebusites, the land he swore to your ancestors to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you are to observe this ceremony in this month. 
For seven days, eat bread made without yeast, and on the seventh day, hold a festival to the Lord. Eat unleavened bread during those seven days. Nothing with yeast in it is to be seen among you, nor shall any yeast be seen anywhere within your borders. On that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This observance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that this law of the Lord is to be on your lips. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand. You must keep this ordinance at the appointed time year after year. So what we see in these verses is that a rhythm of remembrance is set into motion alongside their deliverance. As soon as the Israelites experienced deliverance from slavery, God spoke to Moses and to them about how to remember and commemorate this moment. He gives them specific instructions on how they were to remember, marking the date, having visible reminders like the bread without yeast, celebrating with their community, passing down the story from generation to generation. There was a lot of intention in how the people were to remember this important day to remember that the Lord brought them out with his mighty power. And as you keep reading the story, you see over and over how God initiated different festivals and feasts and rhythms for the Israelites to observe. And these were invitations for them to keep his words and his laws in their hearts and minds, ways for them to meditate on who God is and what he had done for them. So this first practice of remembering God is the practice of knowing your story. Many of you know and have read the book Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. It is a look at human life and weaknesses from the viewpoint of Screwtape, who is an assistant to the enemy, the devil. And in it, he says about us humans, they have some real knowledge of the past, And it has a determinate nature and to that extent resembles eternity. It is far better to make them live in the future. Biological necessity makes all their passions point in that direction already so that thought about the future inflames hope and fear. Also, it is unknown to them so that in making them think about it, we make them think of unrealities. In a word, the future is, of all things, the least like eternity. Gratitude looks to the past. So remembering God, remembering your story, and how you were delivered is a form of gratitude. And gratitude is a weapon. A weapon against what? Well, let's look at the Israelites. Why were they instructed to remember In Deuteronomy 8, Moses explains this. Deuteronomy is just a book of Moses reminding the Israelites, recalling what the Lord had done. And in verse 11, he says, Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied... When you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So remembering the ways that God has delivered us 
is a protection against pride and self-reliance. So my question for you is, have you been delivered? Do you remember the ways that God has delivered you? And the wonderful thing is that God is not done delivering us. He keeps delivering us over and over and over again so we don't run out of deliverance stories. We always have a story to remember. So this practice, number one, is knowing your story. And this practice leads us into the next one, which is journaling. And some of you might cringe when I say that word. So if that's you, um, you can replace it with writing things down. That might be like a safer choice. Um, So journaling is a way that we capture our story. Deuteronomy 4.9 says, Be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. And we see in the story of the Israelites that they had visible reminders, tangible ways to remember and celebrate. And so they had the festival of unleavened bread, which is the Passover. They got rid of all the yeast in their homes. They made bread without yeast. All of these things caused them to remember and to remember details about their deliverance day. So to me, a a journal is like a visible reminder. It's something physical and tangible. It reminds me of important dates. I can look back on it and see the details of a story that I may not have remembered unless I wrote it down. Um, Andy Ashworth is a writer out of Nashville who is one of the co-founders of this nonprofit called Art House America. And it's just a place that's uh, created to encourage Christian discipleship and imaginative living. And she says this, If you want to know what your life is about, write it down. One of my favorite things about journaling is looking back on my old journals. When I look back, I see the dots connect. Like, oh, that's what God was doing. That's what my life is about. Those are the breadcrumbs that God was leading me to follow. Reading old journal entries builds my faith. I look back and I see the ways that the Lord showed up and the ways that he walked me through dark places because we can so quickly forget. As I was looking through some old journal entries to prepare for this, I stumbled upon this one. It was from June 2009. So to set the stage, I was 22. Colt and I had been married almost one year. And I was in this season of dryness with the Lord. I was just feeling kind of done with doing the church stuff. And we had been leading worship at some various churches, and I just, I felt burnt out. And so this is what I wrote. I don't know who you are, God. Where are you and who are you? I want to feel you. You're not there. You were there in high school when I would get excited about you and reading the Bible. You were there when Colt had his heart surgeries. But then you left and I couldn't find you anymore. I'm tired of trying to get back on track with you. What do I do with you? Who are you to me now? It can't be who you were during the surgeries or in high school because I'm different and I need different things. I'm not really even sure what I need. I know I need to feel that you exist beyond stories and moments. 
do you really care about me? And I share that to show that I would not be able to articulate that desert season with as much detail if I had not written it down. I guarantee you I would not remember it in the way that I just read it to you. And spoiler alert, it was a little over a year later in 2010 that we walked into this room for the first time and life began to change and God did a work in me and he used you all and this church to do it. And so the gratitude that I feel right now in my life is actually multiplied because I can look back at that season and read it in detail. In the book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23 by Philip Keller, he writes, I know of nothing which stimulates my faith in my heavenly Father as to look back and reflect on his faithfulness to me in every crisis and every chilling circumstance of life. Over and over, he has proved his care and concern for my welfare. All of this multiplies my confidence in Christ because he has led me through without fear before, and he can do it again and again and again. So for you non-journalers, I encourage you to start small. A sentence a day, a sentence a week, um, just anything to capture your experience of life with God. How do you feel? What are you thinking about? What's going really well? What's been really difficult? One sentence is a really great place to start. I have this uh, spiritual disciplines handbook by Adele Calhoun at home, and I love it. And it says this about journaling. We need to listen and reflect on our experiences in the presence of the Holy Spirit to learn from them. Journaling is a way of paying attention to our lives. So we've got knowing your story, journaling, and then this next practice is daily time with God. So we're going to go back to the story of the Israelites in Exodus, but we're going to be in chapter 16. So this is about a month into their wilderness time. You know, they were there for 40 years total. So this is a month in. So starting at verse 4 in chapter 16, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. And then jump to verse 13. That evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone... Thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. 
So the Israelites had been in the wilderness for a month, and they were hungry. And God provided food for them. And he gave them the exact amount that they needed for the day, and there were no leftovers. And the words that are used here are really interesting. God calls it bread from heaven, but the Israelites call it manna, which literally means what is it? They said, what is it when God provided it? So it was a substance that was foreign to them. They didn't call it bread because they didn't recognize it as bread. But that word bread that God uses literally means bread. And it comes from a root word, which means to fight, do battle, and make war. So I want you to hold that story in your head, and we're going to jump to John. So a pretty big chunk. Jump, jump over to John in the New Testament. Chapter 6, verse 30. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So in this passage, Jesus says that he is the bread of life. God gave Israelites, he gave them the bread from heaven to sustain them each day, So they could fight and make it through the wilderness. And then later, God sent his son, Jesus, from heaven to be the bread of life, to sustain us each day. And it's through Jesus that we are able to make it through our days and fight through our days. And there's a mysterious nature to meeting with God every day, feeding on the word of the Lord, the bread of life, the daily bread, opening up the word every day. It's a provision that he gives us, and I don't always understand how it works. But I know that it is in the daily time with him that he gives me exactly what I need for that day. And it's in that daily space that I find kingdom solutions to problems that I I could not have found otherwise. It's in that space that God searches my heart and opens my eyes to see the places where I need to repent. And it's in that space where he shifts my perspective, even when circumstances stay the same. He shifts my perspective, and he gives me peace. So this is the space each day that causes my heart and my mind to remember God. Spending time with God each day reminds me of my dependence on him, that he is the one that gives me what I need for the day. I want to show this piece of art. Um, It's by a French artist from the 1800s, James Tissot. If you speak French, you can correct my pronunciation later, so come tell me. Uh, The Gathering of the Manna is what it's called, Um, and I love it. Because you can see in some of them the desperate way in which they're gathering the manna. There's a desperation to the way that their bodies are portrayed in this picture. 
And they depended on it. The Israelites depended on the manna. It was their food source. And the same is true for us. We are dependent upon Jesus, our daily bread. But it is our choice to gather it. It's our choice if we want to try and live off of old manna that has molded or off of old seasons. But Jesus offers fresh bread every day, every day. He is the daily bread. So meeting with him every day is a way that we can practice remembering God. So knowing your story, journaling, daily time with God. And then this last one is Sabbath. And I'm, I'm going to spend the most time on this one because this is one that God is, he's working in me right now. This is a thing happening. So remembering God through rest. And some of you might think, oh, I'm really good at resting. I watch three hours of Netflix a day. I like to be in my bed. I don't have a problem sitting still doing nothing. But that's not really the kind of rest that I'm talking about. So here are some signs that a regular Sabbath might be needed in your life. You are always in a hurry. You feel foggy or confused about who you are or what your purpose is. You're always thinking of the next thing you want to buy. You're a workaholic. You feel like it's hard to pay attention to people and be present with them. The things you used to love doing have now become a chore. You obsess about your to-do list. You feel anxious most of the time. I'm sure that we can all find at least one thing on that list that we identify with. This is a quote from that same spiritual disciplines handbook that I was sharing earlier. Our compulsion to produce and not waste time invades the space God gave us to rest. Children's athletics, national sporting events, round-the-clock accessibility to work, email, and stores also fill up the Sabbath day, so we never stop. When you get indignant over how seemingly incompatible Sabbath is with the tiring and relentless demands already facing you, consider what your tiredness means. Sabbath is a way, is God's way of saying, stop, notice your limits, don't burn out. It is a day he gives us to remember who and what work is for, as well as what matters most. We are citizens of another kingdom, a kingdom not ruled by the clock and tyranny of the urgent. God's Sabbath reality calls us to trust that the creator can manage all that concerns us in this world as we settle into his rest. The Hebrew word for Sabbath is Shabbat, which means to rest, to cease, to stop. And the first place that we see Sabbath in Scripture is in Genesis. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating he had done. So from the beginning of time, God built rest into our week. It was part of his creation rhythm. He gave us a pattern to follow, and in that, he blesses us to rest on the seventh day. One commentary said, God does not need a day off, 
But man needs to see the rest of God and know that he can enter into it by the finished work of Jesus. If we look back at the story of the manna in Exodus 16, Moses explains to the Israelites that they are to gather it for six days, but they will rest on the seventh day. So on that sixth day, they were to gather enough for that day and for the following day, and then Sabbath would be a day of rest. So again, like the rhythm of creation, there was rest built into the rhythm of God's provision. We also see Sabbath in the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Later on in Deuteronomy 5, at the end of the Israelites' wilderness time, Moses reminds the next generation of these commands. And when he talks about the Sabbath, he instructs them to observe the Sabbath as a way to remember that the Lord brought them out of Egypt with his mighty power. So Sabbath is a way to remember God. We don't Sabbath just to Sabbath. We Sabbath to see and understand something of God. Now we're going to jump into the New Testament and look at what Jesus says about rest and about Sabbath. So we're going to look at Matthew 11. At the end of chapter 11, we find Jesus teaching about rest. Starting in verse 28, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And the verses that follow in chapter 12 are Jesus teaching about Sabbath. And what was happening at the time was that the Pharisees had taken a law like Sabbath and they had added their own man-made rules to it. So it had become this legalistic practice. And they were out to catch anyone and everyone who was breaking the law of the Sabbath. And one commentary said, Jesus never violated God's command to observe the Sabbath or approved of his disciples violating God's Sabbath command, but he often broke man's legalistic additions to that law. So just to give you an idea of maybe what some of these rules could have looked like, one commentary said, ancient rabbis taught that on the Sabbath, a man could not carry something in his right hand or his left hand, across his chest or on his shoulder, but he could carry something with the back of his hand, with his foot, elbow, or in the ear, on the hair, in the hem of his shirt, or in his shoe or sandal. So do you see how the heart of Sabbath was lost? It was no longer a practice of rest and dependency on God. It was no longer a practice of remembering how God had delivered the Israelites from Egyptian slavery. It had become a rule-keeping competition. And to be clear, we are not obligated to keep the tradition of the Sabbath. You can read in Colossians 2 that the Sabbath was a shadow of what was to come, which was Jesus. The true reality of Sabbath is found and fulfilled in Jesus. So the bottom line is that Jesus is our rest. Because of Jesus' finished work on the cross, we have access to rest. And I would propose 
but a regular Sabbath is a way for us to get in touch with and become aware of this rest. In April of 2020, once I realized, okay, we're all going to be home a lot longer than I thought we were, uh, one of the first things I did was I opened a new note on the Notes app in my phone, and I titled it Coronavirus Goals. So really quickly, the only way I remember this and know this is because I wrote it down. So there's another plug for journaling. Um, So a few weeks into these coronavirus goals, I wrote this. Last week, I was upstairs organizing some things in our guest room, and I caught my thoughts running amok in my head, so I started paying attention. Although I was in task mode and getting a lot done, my mind was spinning with, you should be doing X, Y, Z instead. You'll never get to that thing over there. How come you haven't done any of the things that you said you would? You should have done better. And it wasn't long after the spinning thoughts that I started to feel that twinge of burning in my chest and that uptick in my pulse. And I knew I needed to change something. So I went and I spent an hour with God. I lit a candle, I put on some music, and I was still. And within seconds of beginning to pray, tears welled up in my eyes and I heard God say, slow And I feel that even now. I feel his heart for us to say, slow down. Slow down. There's something about forced rest that causes things to rise to the surface and come into the light. It was in that small space of rest with God that I was able to recognize my frenetic pace of getting things done. And we all have our default ways of operating. For you, it might not be doing. It might not be the doing that feels frenetic. Maybe you feel frenzied energy in the way that you feel or in the way that you think and your spinning thoughts. But regular rest helps reveal the unhealthy default settings that we are operating under. God wants to connect with us. And oftentimes, we don't even know the ways that we're blocking him out of our lives. But I believe the practice of Sabbath is a pathway to unveiling what some of those blocks are. Sabbath gives us a taste of rest so that when stress of life hits during the week, we can remember there's rest. I need Sabbath not just for the day of Sabbath. I need it for all the other days as well. Walter Brueggemann, an Old Testament scholar and theologian, says this, people who Sabbath live all seven days differently. And I do want to mention quickly one resource that has been so helpful in thinking about Sabbath and thinking about rest I I kept hearing about it in circles, you know, when someone, oh, have you read this book? Like over and over. So it was very clear to me that the Lord was saying, read this book. Um, John Mark Comer uh, was the founding pastor and former lead pastor of Bridgetown Church in Portland, Oregon. And he is the author of a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And if you want to learn more about Sabbath and rest, go read his book. And even if you don't want to learn more about it, 
go read his book. Because it's so good. It's so good. We all need to read that book. Um, so let's talk about how to practically apply this. What does this look like? It's not, it's not a thing of the Pharisees where we have rules and we have to think about, well, how do you Sabbath and how do I? That's not what it's about. I just want to give you a picture of what it looks like in our home. It's something that has slowly taken shape. Um, and for those of you who are already thinking, there is no way I could Sabbath a whole day. I just want to encourage you. You can start out with just a few hours a week of intentional Sabbath rest and then let it grow. So for us, it started six years ago as pizza and movie night every Saturday night. And then in the last year or so, it's grown into more of an intentional day of Sabbath. And by no means have we got it all figured out. And each season will bring a different rhythm. And so it's not a one-size-fits-all. You have to adjust. But for now, in this season with three elementary-age kids, this is the way that we Sabbath and we practice Sabbath. So our Sabbath is on Saturday. And not every Saturday is like I'm going to describe because there's an occasional football game or birthday party or basketball game. But for the most part, we try to guard this day as much as we can. So first, we arrange things in our week to prepare for Sabbath. So Colt likes to get the lawn done. That's, to him, that's not a Sabbath activity. So getting the lawn done. For me, I want to be done with laundry. I don't want to do laundry on my day of rest. Um, we try to make sure the house is fairly picked up. Um, and we always have a stack of paper plates, and we just use paper plates on Saturdays to lessen the amount of dishes that we're doing. So those are just some prep things that we do. And we start our Saturdays really slowly. Um, the kids come down, they turn on the TV. Colt and I sleep in till a whopping 8 a.m., you know. I, like, remember my parents being like, we can't sleep in, and I thought, that is so strange, what do you mean? And now I know. So 8 a.m. is sleeping in. And uh, Colt makes big breakfast. We call it big breakfast. Pancakes and uh, bacon and eggs. And we have a little sitting area in our kitchen. So I just sit there in my pajamas. I drink my coffee. We turn on music. And then we sit down to eat, the five of us. And Colt or I, we switch off. One of us will share a passage or something that we've been reading that week. And then it's not long before kids are off, and they play with friends. They go ride bikes, go play upstairs. Um, and then we just spend the rest of the day from that place of rest. Colt likes to work in the garage or go on a bike ride. I like to read a book or listen to a podcast or go on a walk. And then we end our day with our pizza and movie night, which is how it originally started. So the whole day is a day of rest, and it's unto God. So it's our way to remember God, to rest in God. And it's like we're saying this to the Lord, work can wait. Today we remember you. We remember and delight in who you are and what you've done and what you've given us. Everything we have comes from you, and we trust you to provide. We rest in you and in the finished work of Jesus. So, 
knowing your story, journaling, daily time with God, and Sabbath. And there are a ton of other spiritual disciplines that you could implement into your life to encourage a rhythm of remembering God. These are just a few that I have found helpful in my life. And there are so many ways that God is inviting us into life and life abundantly. Life abundant is available. So, band, you guys can come back up. But I just want you to consider, and even now, I just invite you to close your eyes and ask the Lord and say, Holy Spirit, highlight what you're inviting me into today. What is the invitation? Where do you feel the invitation of the Lord today? It might be something I mentioned, but it might be something totally different. And ask him, how can I remember you throughout my day, throughout my week? God, I do ask that you would highlight where you're inviting us this morning. And we thank you that there's always an invitation. There is always an invitation to knowing you more, to knowing you deeply. And we want to say yes to that invitation. We thank you for your nearness. We thank you that you want to be with us. You want to connect with us. And we thank you for your invitation. Amen.